Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. Hey, Mason. What, what is up, Laura? Um, look at you. You're looking fantastic like an ABM Lime King, I would say, huh? And uh, you look quite magical. Oh, yeah, of course. It's <laughs> the magical. What's up, Mason? What's the story behind the costume? Very long story short, you know, there was an opportunity when I think I was in college and I needed to be a lion for something, got a onesie, had it ever since. And now with a little baby on the way, we actually, uh, somebody gifted us a little draft onesie. Oh my God. So we are, uh, we've already got like our first Halloween costume as a family photo picked out. So it's gonna be That's pretty so awesome cute. and super cute. You could even get like the, the monkey costume to do the thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. So nice for you to join and thank you for joining us for being silly. And we're not going to be too silly anymore, maybe a little bit during the whole session today. So I mean, Mason and I, we discussed having a chat about ABM and you are the perfect person to join you for this chat. Mason, could you give a short intro to yourself for the audience before we start digging into ABM? Yeah, so really long story short, started my career actually in uh, B2B print ad sales. So I didn't know what account-based marketing was at that time, but I was a full funnel, like all the way from pipeline generation to account management. So I truly managed the entire customer lifecycle, and that was my introduction to B2B. Uh, from there, moved into the tech space and specifically targeting financial institutions. And somebody mentioned this concept to me of account-based marketing. I was like, oh, that's, that's what I've been doing for like quite a few years now. Huh. And then from there recognized, okay, I really want to grow as a marketer. So actually then transitioned into the ABM space into uh, one of really the most premier ABM agencies, specifically in the HubSpot space, uh, worked there, ran their marketing, building account-based marketing programs. And then we ended up getting acquired by the world's most awarded B2B agency, serving as their account-based marketing department. And my job was to really help evangelize account-based marketing on a global scale wow. and did this balance of running the marketing for the ABM team and also selling account-based programs. So I've been talking about ABM from, again, anywhere from, uh, there was one, one conversation that was with li literally a pre-revenue organization all the way up to $60 billion organizations. So there's a vast gauntlet in that. Uh, and now I run the demand gen and kind of acquisition marketing function for a company called Sales Assembly. That is a sales and post-sales education skills development company for the B2B tech space. So we work with about 200 clients. I have the great pleasure of getting to lead a marketing peer session every single month for a variety of marketing leaders across B2B tech. So we talk a lot about how are we going to continue to grow and retain revenue. So that's kind of my really past few years of how I've landed in this weird space to now be here with you today, wearing a lion onesie, talking about account-based marketing. This is amazing. Also because of your experience before. So it's kind of a, almost a meta thing, running the account-based structure in the company, but also selling the same thing. It's 
I'm looking forward to this chat a lot. So it's not just the person who has tried at one or two companies to do ABM and talking about the experiences, but also a lot of experiences from your clients, I guess, Mason, as well. Yeah, so I want to give credit where credit is due. I learned a ton during my time at Mojo Media Labs and Gravity Global because we were running ABM programs for probably 20 to 25, sometimes 30 different organizations. So uh, as much as I got a ton of fun running programs, I also did learn a ton from my coworkers and counterparts as they were building programs. So hopefully we can share a couple of helpful things today. Definitely. And we already defined the five things that we are going to talk about to have your strategy effectively. But if you could define account-based marketing in the space of B2B SaaS, because usually this is the audience we're speaking with, what is account-based marketing for you in B2B SaaS? Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm going to lean on my past agency experience because I think that when I was selling these programs, the definition that, that Gravity and Mojo had come up with was really the right definition of it's a focused B2B growth strategy that aligns marketing and sales around a set of shared target accounts. So the few things to pull out of that specifically would be it's not a marketing strategy. It is a growth strategy that is partnered between marketing and sales. Now, that then also opens up the conversation of like, what is an account based experience? I think that is also starting to rope in customer success. And uh, even last week. I helped, uh, I don't know if you know Leslie Barrett over at Sendosa, but she oh, wrote yeah. a guide that was called account-based customer marketing. So I actually had numerous conversations. I had a couple mm -hmm. of playbooks in that. So, I mean, there's a, what's fun about the current space of account-based marketing is the foundation that was ABM was set, which again, that growth strategy between marketing and sales. And now we're getting into the really specific nuances because it's recognized as an incredible strategy and mindset. And now how do you take that strategy and mindset and apply it to CS, apply it to full life cycle, apply it to maybe even if you don't have the uh, the marketing support that you would want, how can a seller start to create content and actually run their own ABM strategy for their account? So it's been, it's a really fun time for ABM. Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually a very relevant question popped up in the chat from Chanchal. How you start from the zero level? Actually, I will adjust the question a little bit. So when do you actually start doing ABM in B2B SaaS? When do you feel that it is the right time that we should jump into this ship? Yeah. So if you're familiar with Sangram Verger, kind of the godfather of account-based marketing and is now doing a lot in the go-to-market space, he's he's got these three stages of go-to-market maturity. So the first one is problem market fit. The second one is product market fit. And the third one is platform market fit. So mm -hmm. as I look at that transition between those three different stages of go to market problem market is essentially like, do we have something that is a viable product problem that we can build a business around to solve? Oh. That is not the time for ABM. You're figuring out who is our ideal customer. Do we have the ability to solve this problem in a meaningful way long-term? Mm -hmm. So again, a lot of your startup organizations that are pre-seed that are pre-revenue like ABM, that's not the time. What no. you're trying to do is figure out, do we have a viable problem that we can solve for a company long-term? So I would say that when you want to start implementing an account-based marketing strategy is actually when you're starting to move into that product market fit. Right. You know you have a viable long-term problem to solve. You have at least a decent enough product that it solved it a couple of times for some great companies. And you have an idea of who are those companies that are going to stay with you for a long period of time. So in the example of sales assembly, we've been around for about five or six years, and we have companies that have been with us for five or six years. So we are pretty clear on, okay, so for example, Sprout Social is one of our longstanding members. We worked with Sprout six years ago, 
and have continued to scale with them. So from my perspective, as I'm looking at an example like Sprout and seeing other clients like LinkedIn, for example, or uh, Upwork is another example. So like really large companies that have, I would say, have had some pretty significant exponential growth. So what I'm looking at is we're probably not your startup stage best fit for most companies. We are at that point where it's a scale up. So I look at it as I'm looking on where are the companies that I want to best target for sales assembly to sell our skills development content. It's going to be typically in those companies that are in that, you know, 50 to 200 range with, I would say roughly 50 to a hundred sellers that are between sales and CS. Mm -hmm. And again, let me clarify kind of the 50 to 200 is the starting point where we're really seeing our sweet spot is like that 200 to 500 range of employees. So that's when we start to think about it. Now we're really launching an account-based strategy because we know this is the product we have. This is the problem it solves. These are the best fit potential customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get the basics right. And some customers to be able to figure out who are you targeting really so the, your icp has to be pretty clear before you actually go there because abm is expensive i guess we're going to touch a little bit on that one <laughs> you did I, i've been talking a lot about the concept of scrappy abm okay um, okay i i have a love-hate relationship with the abm is expensive because and we, we can touch on that but I think uh, let's touch upon it now. It's not sure. on the list of this. Okay. So talk about the scrappy ABM. So I think people in their understanding of account-based marketing. And again, I've having been literally marketing and selling ABM at, at the agent in the agency space for two years, I had the same conversations of, oh, so ABM is like running ads mm -hmm. and we just like run ads towards these target accounts and then we're good to go. What was interesting about being in an ABM agency, we didn't actually have paid media team members. So we were an account-based agency that didn't run ads as a standing part of our strategy. So we help people overcome that misconception of ABM as ads. Mm -hmm. So then the next stage of ABM understanding was, oh, so we run a program that's around these accounts and we have to like have a Zoom info or a sales intel that's super expensive. We've got to have a ton of data around it that can then trigger outbound based on intent data. And we have to set up all these different pieces and it's a 17 month RevOps project to get started. And we need $200,000 in additional tech stack. You hear that and you're like, oh, so I guess I'm not doing ABM. <laughs> and what I'm trying to help people recognize is in state. That's probably where you're gonna land. But right now, how do you take an account-based mindset? How do you actually think I have 200 accounts that I know are my best fit potential customers based on past data. I can get those lists in a variety of ways. It may take some blood, sweat and tears, but I can get that list of my best fit potential customers, or, you know, if I need it to, I could probably use a free account through Zoom info just to get that first list pull. Right. And from there, maybe we build a podcast where we invite the decision makers of those best fit customers onto this podcast to build a one-to-one -one relationship. Maybe it's we connect with them on LinkedIn and start creating content that's relevant for them and then showing up in their comments and doing some long-term social selling. Maybe we figure out what active communities they're a part of and we join those communities to become an active part of the communities that they're a part of. You know, I did that with Peak. So one of the marketing communities that I was a part of is called Peak. It's Sanger Verge's community. I really appreciate Sanger and all that he's done. Peak costs like, I think it was like 10 bucks a month. And I sourced a million dollars out of it because I sold 
three or four deals out of that community because I was an active member of that community. Mm-hmm. And they were all to target accounts. And again, because I showed up consistently, they actually ended up coming to me because I figured out who are my accounts, where do I want them, or where are they, and then how do I get in front of them? So it's taking the concept of account-based marketing and saying, instead of let's go buy the really, really massive tech stack to get started, how do we get started with the, you know, we've got two sticks. How do we start making fire yeah. where we are today, recognizing, yes, there are better ways to make fire, but may not be in the budget. We may not have buy-in, but when we start with what we have today and can actually prove some level of results, you can then double down and scale up and implement the new pieces of technology. You can do the more robust ABM program, but you can start scrappy where you are today. I love this. And it goes back to the question that was just raised, like how do you start from zero? So first of all, figure out where your clients are hanging out. Are they hanging out on LinkedIn, on communities? And how do you start bringing value to them? So you are the first person or the first company to think of, or you might need to do some sales work as well to actually do some of the outreaches over to them that is relevant, that is not pitchy and so on, which I really love. Like, especially for the early stage, it's very, very relevant. You don't, you only have two sticks. So exactly. let's kick it off with the five points that we spoke about. Then you started on it a little bit. So the first one, like the strategy from your ABM list was talking about the targeting. Mm-hmm. Explain to me what do you mean by ABM targeting and how to do this effectively? Yeah. So again, I'm going to lean into uh, some things I've been learning from Sangram, which is if you've read his new book, Move, it came out about a year and a half ago, or if you've seen any of the content from GTM Partners, one of the things that they're talking about a lot is this concept of the total relevant market. So most organizations focus on what is called their total addressable market. So it's what are the world of accounts that we could serve? And it's massive. So HubSpot has recently come out and said that if they look at their total addressable market, an organization of that size has still only touched 10% of their global TAM. So again, total addressable market. HubSpot only views that they've touched 10%. So if you're looking at it through the lens of, I've got to market to my total addressable market. And again, you're looking at HubSpot, billion dollar Mm -hmm. company saying, I've only gotten 10%. It's pretty overwhelming. And just if you did a cursory Google search using our most baseline like revenue number of employees in industry in the united states for sales assembly it comes back with roughly twenty thousand b b2b tech companies as a 13 14 person team twenty thousand accounts is too much <laughs> we just can't do it so how do we take that a layer deeper so yeah. when we look at the total relevant market and this is maybe where i'm deviating from sangram but the way that i think about it very practically is just who are the accounts that we can serve right now and would be great fit customers for the next three to five years. Yeah. So again, we're looking at a time frame of how do we start to engage customers that we would want to be our customers in the next three to five years. From there, when we did this exercise for sales assembly, we identified a total relevant market of roughly 28 to 3,000 accounts. So again, we went from 20,000 to 2,800. That is still a large list, but we'll be clear. I'm not now just running account-based programs to all 2,800, but what I've identified is these are our people for the next three to five years. If you're like, Hey, I need to invite somebody to a dinner in New York. Who, who do I invite? We pull a list out of that larger list and say, who are the CROs and VPs of sales and customer success leaders and marketing leaders that are working at companies that are on our target or total relevant market and live in New York. 
or live in the surrounding areas. And then, okay, we've got this high value opportunity to go to a dinner. Now we're actually running programming three months leading up to that dinner to get awareness around them that sales simply exists, that we have something that would be valuable to them. And then, oh, by the way, we're hosting a dinner in your neighborhood like a month from now, would you want to come? And the value to that is for many companies, when they look at building an account-based program, they start at the campaign level list. So every single time they're pulling a list for a specific account-based campaign. And what you lose in that is the compounding effect of brand awareness over a long period of time. Because we say, we're going to go after this segment for six months. And then they're like, cool, we're done with that segment. We're done with that campaign. We're not going to touch this segment for another five years. And what you've just done is you've wasted six months with the accounts that didn't convert in that six month time frame. And again, running marketing at an agency, I would have people come inbound based on a webinar that they attended a year ago. So if we're not continuing to touch these people over and over and over again, we started to get on the right track and then we just don't do anything. So again, by having a total relevant market, essentially a master list of all the companies that we want to go after, as we pull these campaign specific lists or we pull these program specific lists, we're pulling from the same pool of people. So they continue to get to know us over a long period of time. So that is kind of the starting point and the foundation for everything else that we'll talk about. And the narrowed list you're talking about, it's still a lot, depending, Mm -hmm. of course, how many personas you've got. Would you be running high-level ads to all of them and then niche out on some of the campaigns or would you do it differently? So, yeah, I mean, it depends. Sorry to be a standard consultant. I personally, um, like I mentioned, I'm actually not an ad expert. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very good at figuring out other ways in, in which we actually reach these audiences. So again, if you were a larger tech company and you had the ad dollars, my recommendation to that point would be, we're going to run ads towards these accounts. Because again, at that level, 2,800 accounts, still a lot of people because the goal, and I should have clarified this earlier, the goal is we're probably not going to close all of those accounts in the next three to five years. But if we were happy closing 20 to 30% of these accounts, That's great. And again, in the example of sales assembly, we're 200 members strong. So out of 2,800 accounts, if I closed 10% of that list, we have more than doubled the business in a five-year timeframe. I think people would generally be happy with that. Generally, maybe not. I don't know. But all that to say, like if you've got the ad budget and you're like, where do I spend my ad dollars right now? You want to have that compounding effect of making sure people know you exist and what you do and how you can help them. And then you can get more granularly specific within specific campaigns. Right, right. Love that. So moving from targeting to the next part of the strategy, you touched a little bit about demand generation. So kind of those early touches that you're doing for accounts. So walk me through what demand generation is in your books and how does it match into ABM strategy? Yeah, so people are probably going to find this odd because there's there's often a debate of like, Should I be running account-based strategy? Should I be running a demand gen strategy? Uh, This may be a hot take, but I view that an account-based strategy is a subset of demand generation. I don't know if that's a hot take, but that's just my own personal opinion. So when you look at a demand gen strategy, what ended up working when I was running an account-based program, again, I ended up moving into into this hybrid role. So people would see me on LinkedIn. They'd see me go and speak and do more of this demand gen approach and like thought leadership approach. And then when I would do specific outbound towards them, because I wanted them, they were part of my account-based programs. 
they knew me. So I wasn't some random stranger. They already generally knew who I was, what I did, how I could help them. And then the account-based approach was getting really specifically nuanced to their organization. So as an example, we would run a top line kind of demand gen strategy that was called uh, fix your site from search to sale. It was live website reviews in a webinar format. And then what I would do is I would sit in this office, I'd take a whole week and I would review 40 websites in a week, SEO audits, homepage conversions, and like messaging. And I'd send 40 personalized website reviews where the only ask was, if you thought this was helpful, here's a guide that you can go. It's an ungated guide where we can dive even deeper into some really tactical advice on how you can improve your website. And hey, if it makes sense, I'd love to chat with you further. We'd always get out of the 40 on a quarterly basis, eight new website projects. It was like clockwork. So again, that was our workhorse program. And for us, websites were a kind of land and expand approach. So it was the way that we could test out a client relationship before selling them on a annually based retainer for an account-based strategy. So again, when we look at it, the top line of a demand gen approach was being out there, being public, being helpful, being known within the realm of my total relevant market. And then because they were starting to actually engage in some of our top line content, we could actually say they're starting to show some levels of engagement and we got permission to be really targeted and prescriptive. And I think that's a piece that a lot of people miss if they only run an account-based strategy. They are not building the awareness, they're not building trust at scale, and they're not getting permission to do outbound. So I'll, I'll give you another quick example. I got an email that was a website review last week and somebody was like trashing my website and was like, so if you'd like help fixing this garbage website of yours, go ahead and schedule a call with me. I don't know who this person is. I don't value their opinion. And like, it kind of ticked me off because we just revamped our website and like, they don't know me. They don't know that I literally spent three years helping people make better websites. So like, even though some of the points he made were correct. And I want to be clear on that. He wasn't wrong in everything that he said. I just don't value his opinion. I don't trust him. I don't know him. And the things that he's talking about are things that I'm already in process of trying to fix. So again, he had no context. He had no permission. He had no invitation to just trash my website, but he did it anyway. And I can tell you, I don't remember his brand name, but I remember him. And if I see him, I'm probably not going to be more likely to actually engage in him with him because I don't, I don't trust him. Yeah. Understand. And it is so much like you earn the permission in all the publicity that you're doing and all the public value building that you're bringing to them to later jump into and pitch, but probably not trash, maybe just suggest stuff that could be changed. This is really, really valuable mission from demand generation. We're moving over to that direct outreach and going to talk a little bit about sales as well. So you mentioned repeatable plays with sales. And this is very interesting because account-based marketing does not play without sales. Tell me more about how do you do that? Yes. I mean, prime example, I'm a, I'm a marketer that works at a sales education company. So (laughs) my hat says I heart sales, which it's true. I mean, I have a weekly meeting with, with our sales team and I ask, 
okay, we've generated some level of marketing sourced opportunities. How are they doing? Are they good? Like, are they bad? Do we need to fix this? Because again, it's, it's that constant feedback loop. And then from there, we can ask the question, okay, now these people, especially right now, again, I keep coming back to this data that I saw at the beginning of the year of the average deal is going to take four to six months longer yeah. in our current year. So like, if you're looking at account-based marketing, trying to figure out, oh, where do I get started? Pipeline acceleration is probably the best place to start because you have named accounts. You generally know what their problem is because they've told you. And now the question becomes, how do I accelerate the pipeline to actually close them? So I think that there is an opportunity, again, to figure out with sales, what are our repeatable plays that we can then use to either, for someone that's kind of that low hanging, like they've been engaging in a ton of content, how do we get them to move into pipeline? Or if they're in pipeline, how do we have some repeatable plays to move them forward? So a couple of quick examples, and I'll share one that we're uh, actually actively experimenting with right now at Sales Assembly. From a demand gen perspective, we are doing a lot with LinkedIn content, and we're mm -hmm. doing a lot with content repurposing and a lot with our podcast. So we have set up a content calendar, and if people adhere to the content calendar, they will post on their profile a product clip. They'll post something that is thought leadership and data backed. They'll post something that's about our podcast. And again, I've actually provided them the content to then repurpose for their own posting. Out of that, we do two things. One, I send outbound sequences as a marketer to invite them to our content and say, hey, that clip that you just saw from Sam McKenna was actually from one of our live sessions that we host every single month, which by the way, we're hosting one tomorrow if you want to join. Uh, but from there, I say, if you'd like more content like this, like here's the landing page to go register. Wow. And again, I'm then actually inviting people to become a part of our marketing ecosystem. Mm -hmm. The other thing is from really tactical product clips and really like data-driven thought leadership around skill gaps. So for example, Gartner has shown that the average employee today, let me reframe that, 70% of employees today feel they don't have the skills that they need to be successful in their jobs. 70%. So if you don't have teams that feel confident that they can accomplish their jobs, they're probably not doing their best work. So if you had foundational skill development, you'd have more confident and competent teams. And then there's other data that showcases when you've invested in sales enablement and skill development, you typically see a 7.5% increase in win rates. So all of that data comes together when we can create thought leadership content around it. And we can send outbound sequences that says something to the extent of, it's a light touch, but it's, mm -hmm. hey, thank you for the love on, on that post from XYZ about XYZ. As you can probably clearly say, see, we are uh, we're really passionate about helping go-to-market teams accomplish X, referencing back to that post. If you if you think it's relevant, we actually have this ungated demo of our platform and our product. If you wanted to check it out, it may be helpful for you or somebody that you know. It's just a light touch that we do outbound sequencing around. So again, it's not schedule a call. It's not no. you, it's not your team sucks. You need skill development. It is hey, you found this post valuable. We actually have a lot more content like this that's ungated if you think this would be helpful for you or your team. Right. And we've been running with that for about two weeks. We're starting to see some level of people engaging. There's more to come on that. But like, I want to I want to balance it of like things I'm actively experience, experimenting with and then also like the proven plays. So that's right. like a pipeline generation play. Great pipeline acceleration play. It's like direct mail plus a pun. So one of the things that we ran when I was in agency space is we look at our closed, lost, dark, and delayed deals every three to six months, whenever pipeline would get a little bit light, and we'd say, 
okay, what are the 30 deals that we can send a popcorn tin to and say, pop them back in, just wanted to see how the year was going. And again, you contextualize it to that specific account of like, popping back in, want to see how your relationship was going with that agency you chose over us. And you'd like be more specific about it, but like actually sending out direct mail that invites people back into a conversation and shows that you're keeping tabs on them, that you're keeping up with them, that you care about them. So like that's a clear repeatable play because the other piece to account-based marketing is when you let demand generation run and actually build the brand, no. you have exponentially greater results. So there's been a ton of data that showcases like the two ways of going to market when you really dumb it down are like brand building and sales activation. And sales activation creates this wave-like effect where it's kind of that feast or famine. And if you just Google it, like brand building versus sales activation and go to Google images, you'll see the graph that I'm talking about. Brand building takes longer, but creates exponential results. But the other piece to that is I think most people generally know from a theory perspective, that brand building is a better way to go. The challenge is it doesn't deliver immediately. So if you're looking at, I want to build an account-based program, but I have no brand right now, you probably need to build a bit of a better brand, but that takes time. So what you can do in the meantime is build some of these repeatable plays with your sales team. So you do that sales activation, which then gives them the pipeline to work while you continue to build out a brand and actually do the brand awareness content within your total relevant market. No executive loves when you say I'm going to run a brand awareness play. So you kind of run that in the background while you run your like pipeline generation, short-term quick fix plays. Yeah. And when you can balance those two, there does become a tipping point where your brand building delivers more than your sales activation. And you won't need to do sales activation nearly as much. Wow. I love that. Especially due to collaboration, such close collaboration between sales and marketing, because a lot of stuff that you have been speaking about is how marketing enables sales, but some of the emails you're actually doing yourself, the activation. This is really cool. Well, there is one other piece that I want to like essentially address the lion in the room. Yeah. Uh, oh, where I is it? I have really intentionally over the past two or three years built a, a personal brand on LinkedIn. There is an element at which, because within the communities that I run in, if I haven't had a personal interaction with somebody, they, they may know me. And I'm not saying it's a guarantee, yeah. but like admittedly, and I hate to say this bluntly, I've got like 16,000 some, 16, some odd followers. I have more social proof that I have something valuable to say than the SDR that's just out of college that has a hundred connections on LinkedIn. Yep. So there's an element at which we recognize that. And it's not to say like the SDR can't do it, but like it is easier for me. And it's the same, like when I ask my CRO, Hey, can you do an outbound sequence? CRO showing up because he's got a personal brand and has the title. Like he even calls out he's like, I'll say, I tried to connect with this VP of sales and he, he rejected it. He was like, let me go connect with them. Like not to pull title, but like, it's just the reality. So again, from that perspective, recognizing who on your team has the greatest potential for success to then actually do some level of outbounding and then tying it to where it contextually makes sense. I'm not asking people to schedule a call. I'm saying, hey, I'm running this marketing program. Do you want to join our marketing program? My title is director of demand That makes sense. Whereas when our CRO does outbounding or our AE does outbounding, he's saying, hey, go check out this ungated tour. Like yeah. go check out this demo. So again, we've also then aligned the messaging to the person that's sending it. So it contextually makes sense within the conversation. This is perfect. I have heard some companies mentioning that kind of 
running sequences that are run by their sea level and then comparing what SDRs can do. So maybe there is a shift there to be done as well. It's like who is going to take which battles as well? What works best? Of course, use the brand if you've got it or the, your title, if it makes sense for a CRO to reach out to the salesperson or for Mason to reach out to, to somebody in marketing. Love that, love that a lot. And let's move into the conversation points. So you mentioned one of the points for ABM are clear conversation points. What is that for you? Yeah. So when I think about conversations and admittedly, let me take one step back. This is very, mm -hmm. very likely a typo on my point. So we okay. can run with it as conversation points, but mm -hmm. I'm thinking conversion points. So this is a typo in my head. It is clear conversion points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the witch made a typo. Okay. So clear conversion points. So I mean, I had this conversation with our president yesterday of we are running a lot of different things. So again, we've got our demand gen thought leadership stuff. We've got our workshops. We've got our blog content. We've got our podcast. We've got, again, all of these different posts that are going out. We've got this tour page. So understanding as you're actually mapping out the things that you're doing mm -hmm. the goal should be that you have an intended outcome for every action now what i'm talking about is customer journey mapping and buyer journey mapping and i know the pushback that i'm going to get which is the buyer's journey is so insane like how can i map out every touch point that's not what i'm saying you mm -hmm. should be doing but i feel because people tend to swing in pendulums Pendulum was way over here and we have to track every single touch point. And now we've gone way over here and it's like, we don't track anything. And the challenge is neither one of those approaches work. Yeah. So it's recognizing I can only control so much. And I know that there are going to be things that are outside of my control that will drive conversions. I know there are things that are going to be outside of my control that will actually stop deals. So then how do we focus on what we can control and actually mapping out the intended outcome of somebody liking a LinkedIn post is not that they would immediately go and schedule a call. That's asinine. But the goal is they know we exist. Yeah. They may like us a little bit more. They may understand a little bit more of what we do or we make their day better and brighter and they want to show up tomorrow to see what we post again. That's mm -hmm. the goal of a LinkedIn post. How would you structure those points? Because those are very different conversions as well to use that in ABM. Yeah, so uh, again, people are going to hate it. And I don't think it's real either, but I also think it's really helpful for understanding the concept mm -hmm. and it is a funnel. I know funnels, ugh. but like one of the most, so I was walking through all the tactics that we are running as a part of the larger strategy for uh, customer acquisition within sales assembly. Mm -hmm. I ran like two or three months of marketing strategy meetings without any visual aid. I just had the list of everything of like, these are the things that we're doing. And then I just like downloaded a JPEG of a funnel that literally said top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom funnel. And then I color coded it and said like, these are the things that we're doing that serve the top of the funnel. These are the things that we're doing that serve the bottom or the middle of the funnel and the bottom of the funnel. And again, do I recognize that there is a world where somebody will likely listen to 200 episodes of our podcast when we get there and have 200 episodes, never do anything else and schedule a call? 100%. You look at Refine Labs, that's essentially their entire strategy. But admittedly, that's like kind of the exception to the rule. So when we look at our blog and our podcast and like social content, we recognize that the goal of that 
is to engage somebody where they are today with the intent that they would then go to something else. So again, all of this is helpful, informational thought leadership content, and everything in it has a CTA to do something else. And typically that call to action is sign up for our newsletter, register for our monthly live sessions. It's something that actually shows a higher level of engagement with the brand. From there, we have our middle of funnel content. We have different calls to action in that type of content. Because the intended outcome is that they would then dive deeper. Right. And again, from there, we're actually looking at it through the lens of we're not just doing an MQL sequence. That's not going to work. But for example, when we look at it through the lens of we hosted an event last week and I sent that list to our sales team and I said, please do not outbound all of these people. But if let's look at this compared to our total relevant market and in-pipeline opportunities. What we found is that there were a variety of in-pipeline opportunities that had new people that have entered into the equation that have not been a part of the sales conversations, but are department heads of different departments that are engaging in our content. Yeah. So now we can actually multi-thread that deal because we recognize these are in-pipeline opportunities. They're starting to show levels of engagement across the organization. Now, how do we go in and actually engage in those conversations and say something to the extent of, hey, I saw you were on this event last week. Would love to hear your thoughts on it. We're also speaking to so-and-so about partnering. If there's anything that you're specifically looking for, would love to understand that so we can serve the whole organization. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not the, let's run an MQL sequence or let's run a sequence towards everybody that registered. And it's not the, we don't use events to drive any sort of conversion. It is the, we know who our audience is. We are running demand gen programs right now. Now, how do we actually out of these programs get really tactical and specific around what is the goal of each thing that we're doing? And then at what point does it trigger the involvement from a sales team perspective? And then kind of the next phase of this, to be clear, where we're going to land, because I'm also three and a half months into my role at Sales Assembly, a little hint on where I view ABM should fall. We're not running ABM right now. Like that's not a strategy for us, but it will be in six months, once the foundation mm-hmm. of demand gen has been established. So I want to give that context. But as we look at the conversion points, there's clear intent behind every action that we're doing so that when we actually take this demand gen strategy, essentially the next piece will then be building really specific personalized content for either a segment of accounts or literally for single individual accounts, where we're then running essentially a one-to-one or one-to-few or one-to-many based on the segment demand gen strategy within these specific accounts and understanding the intent and the outcome of every action then helps us understand, are we actually driving conversions towards the ultimate goal? Right. So kind of mapping it down the funnel, as you said. So it it goes a little bit back to branding because a lot of the demand gen stuff you're talking about is difficult to measure and difficult to tell the C-level that who actually literally wants leads right now that let's build this foundation and then the leads will come. But how would you show the CCU that you are on the right track if you don't have the data to show it yet? So I question that because you can get the data. The question is then what data does the C-suite value? So again, like nobody likes this, but if you asked me, And to be clear, I actually literally just had this conversation two weeks ago with our entire C-suite. So like, this is a very real conversation that I'm also actively having. So if if they had asked me in month one of me being at sales assembly, how are we doing? 
I was like, we're on the right track because when we're building a program, like my goal right now is actually not the results. And I know that's going to sound crazy. Mm-hmm. My goal is building out the sustainable process because I know when we do this systematically and sustainably, the results will come. Now, in that same vein, I can also, after 90 days of running something, look at have we seen an increase in any inbound opportunities? Have we seen an increase in any opportunities? And I can get, my CRO lovingly calls it, anic data. So again, talking to our sales team and saying, oh yeah, they're mentioning these things. And again, when you're early, it's going to be some more anic data. So again, I'll give you a prime example with sales assembly. We have been a primarily outbound organization because we're a sales education company. Like that's, we're eating, like we're telling people to do what we're also doing. But again, it's now that we have me in place, when we look at a trailing 11 month timeframe, there were 40 some odd inbound opportunities that were generated. For three to four months of that, they were running some ads. And when you looked at the conversion on those ads, that generated roughly 30 of the opportunities and none of them converted into close one revenue. So marketing was not delivering. And again, at a, at a six month time frame. So we'll cut out the ads. They had generated, I think it's about five inbound opportunities in a six month time frame. I am now here. And from April, May, and June, running more thought leadership, like demand gen, we generated 18 inbound opportunities, one of which has already closed. So that is looking at it through the lens of, okay, this is not perfect. And even our CRO said, we're generating a larger quantity of inbound Mm -hmm. opportunities. We generated more leads in the past two weeks than we have in the past two months. Most of them are not quality, but, and that was in my first month, but quantity has a quality all its own. Because when you're actually looking at building a brand, you're going to generate more inbound opportunities. They may not all be perfect as you're starting, but actually looking at that as a data point to say, we got more people that were actually coming inbound, more people than we exist, and more people are filling out the form. Were they the perfect fit? No, we're early in this. We're refining the messaging. We're refining our channels. We're refining our targeting. But the fact that we've been running something and we have more people that know we exist and are trying to say, this seems interesting. Can I learn more about it? That's a helpful data point to then showcase what we're doing from a brand perspective is beneficial. So I would look at it through that lens. You can also look at like the engagement metrics and other, like if you are on LinkedIn, I know that Chris Walker's talked a lot about like the idea of meaningful comments from right fit potential customers, but like admittedly, I've tried to share that to my C-suites, like that doesn't typically land well. So I look at it through the lens of the goal of marketing is to get butts in seats that close. The first part to that is butts in seats. So when we're trying to run these programs, are we seeing more people actually come inbound? Are we seeing more people show interest? And then we can figure out how to optimize that. But we can't optimize what doesn't currently exist. We have to get people coming inbound. We have to get people that are raising their hand before we can optimize the long-term conversions of that. Right. And how does that match to the last point that you mentioned about the gap analysis with a vision for the future? That must be very similar. Yeah. So... I'm a big fan of painting a vision for what the future should look like so that because right now we're in like the really like (laughs) it's not the sexy part. Like we're not running the cool, big, like we're going to send out tacos to our best fit customers and like, you know, have a social media takeover because it's Taco Tuesday, hashtag free Taco Tuesday. We're not doing that. Like we're at the point where it's like we need content to then serve all of our channels. 
So like the question then becomes, are we going to live here forever? Mm-hmm. Or like, for example, I've gotten all of our executives to start posting more on LinkedIn that is more specifically tied to like their own personal brand narrative that ties into a larger company brand narrative. We've been doing it for like a week and I've already started to get people that are like, this is really time consuming. Like, is this where we're going to be forever? And when you can paint a picture of what the future looks like and you can frame up right now, because especially early with ABM, it's a heavy, heavy lift. But if you can paint the picture for we're doing this manually right now because we want to prove this model before we invest the time in buying a new piece of technology that we then, because eventually, like, if you want to scale it up, you do have to do that 17-month RevOps project. So sorry. Like, it's good. It's going to come up. It may not actually be 17 months. I've seen some companies do it in two to three. But, like, in order to have cross-functional alignment, you have to then meet cross-functionally. We're a 13-person team at Sales Assembly, and it's still an undertaking to schedule an unplanned, like, meeting with all the department heads to talk about our targeting. And we're 13 people. So I know when we were working with $60 billion companies, they were literally looking at ABM as a, it's an 18, 24 month timeline to get the tech stack implemented. So when you can paint that vision for the future and say, this is our starting point, we're rubbing sticks together. Like it's not perfect. It's not sexy. It's working though. It's headed in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at what are the greatest time sucks or what is the channel that we don't have access to or what is the piece that we really need additional headcount or support or technology on when you look at it as as an overarching process you can then identify those specific gaps and again because we're painting a vision for what the future looks like and that future looks like we have an abm program that is a money printing machine we figure out the accounts we figure out the content but we've got our channels we've got our targeting we've got our intent we've got the ability to serve up everybody to sales, we got all that nailed in. So the only things that we have to figure out right now, once we've built our money printing ABM program is content and targeting, like content and the accounts that we want to go after this quarter. So that's the vision of the future. That's where we're getting to. So that then it gives to some extent, some level of understanding and purpose to freaking a CEO trying to figure out the nuances of my hook for a LinkedIn post. That's clearly, and I hate to say it this bluntly, that's going to be a gap for us. Like that's huh. that's something that we're going to fix, but where we are today, I need to prove results. So that's a, that's a place where I'm cashing my essentially relationship equity chips because huh. that's the other piece to all of this. An account-based strategy is organizational change at its core because you're saying the way that we've been doing this isn't working. We need to work as a team. So in order to actually facilitate organizational change, you have to cash in some chips from a relationship and equity perspective. And in my experience, it is easier to cash in those chips when you can come to somebody and say, this is not going to take additional dollars. This is not going to take anything other than some creative thinking and some time. And when you can, again, start somewhere and paint that vision for the future, it then becomes a lot easier to do the here and now. I love it how it joins the dots together. It's like, you spoke about the scrappy ABM and it will become something much more than that scrappy ABM, but you start from somewhere with that goal in mind, you're able to do it small steps at a time to be able to build out a very solid ABM plan. Yeah. And final thought on this front. And I know 
like a lot of people look at account-based marketing as a really, really tech heavy strategy. It was interesting when I was working in the, again, agency space, we had tech partners. Mm-hmm. And what they sh- what they were able to show is that those that are partnered with an agency that's an account based agency had a much higher lifetime value because they put strategy and mindset and organizational change first. They didn't buy an ABM platform. They didn't buy a data enrichment provider. They didn't buy an attribution tool and say, "Cool, how do we use this?" What they found is there were gaps in their existing programs, and then they went to find solutions that fill those gaps. Yeah. So if you want a truly successful long term account based strategy. That's why I'm so bullish on starting where you are today with what you have to prove out some level of a model, get the organizational alignment, get the mindset shift, get, again, a scrappy program up and running where you can clearly see. So again, let's connect these dots. Right now, we have a ton that is marketing influenced uh, revenue that we're not able to showcase from attribution. So that may be something where we need an attribution tool to then connect the dots for us so we can actually showcase the specific impact of each conversion point. Right now, it's a lot of anecdotal data. That's okay for where we are, but we recognize in order to scale this long-term and actually appropriately allocate dollars to doubling down on something, we need to solve for this. But we're not there yet. That's a vision for the future. Fantastic. Mason, I think this is really, really solid. And I hope that people listening to the show today got a lot out of it. Even though we're looking a little bit silly. What is the temperature there where you are right now? I'm just a little bit curious. I don't know, but you can probably tell my face is a little bit red. So I, uh, <laughs> I'm feeling the heat. It is, it's only 64 degrees outside, which is not terrible. No, it's okay. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So any specific areas which uh, you would avoid when starting your ABM program. Um, so I... As I think about it, areas to avoid, and I again, this is the controversial thought. I wouldn't, I wouldn't start with what technology do we need, what outsource partner do we need, like how do we go get additional dollars to get this started. I would start with we've got some really smart people here. We can probably figure out at least a starting point because again, when I was selling account-based programs, those companies that got started. And then recognize, oh, we're, we're hitting a road bump or roadblock here. Like we're hitting a speed bump here. This is the challenge we need to solve to then overcome versus we'd like to do ABM. They didn't typically end up moving forward. And when they tried to implement it, they gave a lots and lots of pushback because they had not ever tried it. They just wanted to say, uh, ABM is a nice buzzword. You figure it out. But when you get started, you can then actually much more accurately understand where do I need to invest my dollars to make this program more successful. So that's the specific area I'd avoid. Don't get more dollars, figure out where you are today to then start. And then once you're starting, you're pretty clearly going to run up against some specific roadblocks in which you can then go get the resources to solve those challenges. No, Mason, you're a gem. Really, this session was loaded with a lot of fantastic information. It was a pleasure. I'm looking forward to re-watching this and reusing a lot of that information as well. Thank, Thank you, everybody, for joining today. And um, see you at another session. Thanks, Laura. Thank you. We hope you like listening to us. Subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.